Welcome to the Mary Gostolo Girl Ahead podcast, the weekly unique insight into luxury hospitality around the world by those who know it best. Produced by Allmont Global and brought to you by Barbados Tourism and Marketing. Shangri-La has always fascinated me as a hotel brand and I think of it the whole time because I actually have the Shangri-La Essence of Shangri-La room spray always at my home. It very nearly back in 1971 had another name when Robert Kwok who was starting his first hotel which is now Shangri-La Singapore almost called it after the street outside Orange Grove Road, instead of which he was persuaded to, to call his hotel group Shangri-La. And I am thrilled today to be talking to Oliver Bonke, who heads the entire group for the whole world other than China. Over to Oliver Bonke. Oliver, there are several luxury hotel groups coming out of Hong Kong uh, saying that they are an Asian hotel company for the world. Shangri-La has a very special niche. How do you differentiate Shangri-La? It's a great question. The, you know, Shangri-La is, is a company that if you look at its DNA, um, I was founded on uh, inclusion and care. Um, you know, Robert Kwok, when he opened the Shangri-La in Singapore, he opened it very much with the vision in mind of having a luxury hotel that is open for everyone. He himself felt back then that, um, you know, when he was traveling as an Asian native, he in fact did not feel particularly welcome in the uh, in the you know Asian luxury hotels of the 70s. Um, no names to be mentioned, um, but in Singapore particularly, he felt there was really still very much of a sort of colonial leftover that um, you know the Westerners most welcome, um, but maybe the locals, even if they could afford it, not so much. So what differentiates um, Shangri-La still to today? is this deep-rooted commitment to inclusion and care. Um, and he is the one that ultimately, you know, has brought that character to the forefront and is what we look to live up to um, every day. And the way it manifests itself is, you know, a focus on our teams to make sure that they, every day that they come to work, feel deeply cared for and looked after by the company and by on-the-ground management so that they can transmit that genuine care that they feel from us to guests. Um, and if we can accomplish that, we're, we're, we've accomplished, you know, sort of our differentiation. You have a, an incredibly good record of colleague retention, don't you? I have spoken with some of your club lounge, sorry, Horizon club lounge people, for instance, who've been there 20 years and they obviously love the company. And it's, it's, it's exactly um, that sort of um, message that we are delighted to hear. And, and I tell you why. Um, I believe that sort of tenure is unique to Shangri-La. 
we are a company that has obviously lived through many crises, as many other um, of our companies have, whether that is um, uh, SARS, whether that is now COVID, whether that is the bombing in Colombo. Um, these are all, or the, you know, it, 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 well, SARS in Hong Kong and Singapore, which, which is when your proof is in the pudding, right? Is what do you do for your employees when there is a crisis? And the commitment of our owners, and remember, we're an owner operator. Um, the commitment of our owners always has been frontline staff first. Um, they must be looked after even in a crisis. You are one of the team. You had, I won't say uh, island hopped, you had company hopped in a remarkably short time as though you were getting experience going from Starwood to IHG to Lowe's before you joined Shangri-La in August 2017. What drew you to Shangri-La? You know, having spent four years in Singapore with Starwood, um, I absolutely fell in love with the ethos of, of Asian hospitality and Asian management, and in particular also the power of the future of Asia. You know, there is no doubt that, you know, Asia, whether it is China or Southeast Asia or other parts of Asia, are very much the engine, not only of the global economy, but also of global travel, both as a destination as well as a source. And Shangri-La as a company, to me, having competed against it in the past, I've always admired, you know, with the, the relentless commitment to quality, you know, that, that beautiful soft touch service um, that just kind of goes, you know, through you like a warm shower. Um, and, you know, that sort of inspiration um, that they bring to travel. And so the combination of having competed against them and admired them, um, Asia-centric um, company, which I think is so important now to think through our future, um, has drawn me to Shangri-La and it's been a privilege to be there. And yet, Oliver, if I may say this, you have now banished yourself because um, two and a half years after joining Shangri-La in the Far East, you banished yourself to Atlanta, Georgia. Um, <laughs> can you explain your Atlanta new role? New York City. So my office is actually in New York City, okay. and I and I am I'm happy to explain. And I think it's another signal as to how this company um, uh, operates. And I had a, my father passed away in, uh, in early 2019 um, and I wasn't there. He lived in New York City and I wasn't there and I didn't have an ability to be there. And it was a stark reminder that I am unfortunately very close to being first generation in my family with, my, with an aging mother and, and aging parents-in-law. And my wife and I both decided that it is a must that we are returning to the East Coast in the U.S. to be close to family. Now, a lesser company would have said, good luck. A company like Shangri-La said, well, you know what, that might just work to our advantage. And we have somebody on the ground that can handle Middle East, India, Asia, uh, um, uh, uh, India, uh, the uh, Indian Ocean, Europe and the Americas for us. Um, you know, from the U.S. So closer to the ground, closer to customers, closer to our teams. So the combination of having to 
fulfill a personal need um, with actually being able to run that part of the company much closer to the ground uh, has been a fantastic combination. I am envisaging you now as George Bernard Shaw on the cover of the My Fair Lady record where George Bernard Shaw is holding strings for all the Pygmalion-type characters because you have one of the most difficult hotel roles in the whole wide world now. How can you combine west coast of Canada, for instance, right through, well, perhaps no longer now, through to the southern point of the Maldives, but you have India, you have the glorious reopened Colombo Hotel, you have the fun, fun London Hotel, which has become the world centre of uh, marriage proposals up on the rooftop. Uh, You have that palace in Paris. I can barely say that. You have this assortment of unique properties, but do you also have, will you have, when the pandemic allows, will you have a private plane to get you from one to the other? (laughs) <laughs> the answer to the last question, very simple, absolutely not. Um, I wish sometimes. But um, so, you know, there. I think there are two things that are critical. First of all, you know, as with everything in life, you have to know what you're talking about. And when I talk to our general managers in the Maldives, in Paris, in India, I have, you know, operated in these uh, parts of the world for well over 10, 15 years. So I'm intricately familiar with how to operate there and also the kind of customers that we're catering to there. So I think I'm a good and credible partner to our general managers on the ground um, in terms of having firsthand knowledge and knowing how to lead them and how to support them. And then secondly, it is obviously always and never are not about the general manager. You know, if it doesn't matter how good you are, it doesn't matter how close you are, if you don't have a best-in-class general manager, nothing works properly. And we are blessed with an incredibly strong team, whether it's Julian in Paris or Kurt in London. Um, um, you know, so we've, uh, we are Nancy in Toronto, quite close to me here. Um, we've got just brilliant general managers that... Um, you know, are deeply committed to making sure the business remains alive and survives this period um, and come out, you know, with this sort of service ethos that we're known for. So they make it a little bit easier for me um, and I hopefully make it a bit easier for them by being deeply knowledgeable about this diverse part of the world. Talking of inclusion, you are also very open to employing people who are just so creatively over the top that perhaps they wouldn't be considered in some more traditional uh, hotel companies. I think of Kurt in London and putting lipstick or similar signs on the window of my room when I stayed there and having in the elevator having a Negroni bar serving drinks. Now, you mentioned partnerships just now. You have been very keen on partnerships. You have a partnership with Taj. You have a partnership, I believe, with Tencent. 
How are these going? And are you looking for other partners? I think, you know, partnerships, you know, are always uh, something you, you try it out. Um, you make a commitment um, to each other. Um, you you give a little bit and you gain a little bit, um, you know, incrementality in it. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big believer in that on, on all fronts. Um, and I think they also have to be very clear that they serve a purpose um, and that they have um, resources committed to them on each side of, of the partner. Otherwise, it just becomes, you know, a PR announcement and a nice PowerPoint presentation. So it has to have life to it. Um, so both Taj and Tencent have, de we've developed products, experiences and services together, whether they're more on the technology side with Tencent or more on the customer experience side and distribution side with, with Taj. So we're always looking for, uh, for more partnerships. Right now, I think the world, the companies have to be careful that we're not all only inwardly focused while everyone is struggling for survival. Um, that we're not just inwardly focused, but we're also stitching together um, where we can create really exciting experiences for either our colleagues um, or for our guests. And one thing that has, you know, warmed my heart over the last, um, you know, couple of months is the partnership that all of our hotels have taken with the uh, frontline medical workers. Now, that, that feels perhaps a bit more fragmented than a a sort of headline partnership like Tencent, um, but in fact it was, and we made, a, we made a deliberate commitment to partner with hospitals and caregivers in each community to make sure that that gives back to the community and also gives our employees, many of them had literally very little to do because the hotel was uh, locked up, to do things, serving meals to them, making masks for them, giving them respite in the hotel rooms when they needed a break, so I think partnerships have to fulfill a purpose. They need to have a certain, you know, they, they come to life in a time. Um, so this sort of, you know, partnership uh, served well now and we always look for more. And I think they are uh, a key part of our business ethos. And what you do for your colleagues actually reverberates onto the customers. And I heard an interesting talk by trend spotter Daniel Levine out of New York last night, who was saying that hotels in general will have a challenge because it used to be that consumers looked up to fancy hotels, and now their homes are so fancy and getting fancier the whole time. What are hotels going to be able to offer? What is your answer to that? I think if you... Um you have to give people a, um, a, a respite, you know, from whatever it is they need a respite from, um, you know, whether it is um, a romantic, you know, getaway, which, um, you know, may create a different environment around you with you and your partner or spouse or whoever it is you, you, you travel with that you wouldn't have at home, no matter how plush and lush, you know, your home may be. Um, going out um, and spending time um, as, a, as a respite with those you love, I think will always, um, will, will always be there. The second thing is, I think, a, a deep sense and ability of discovery. Um, you know, discovering new things within your own four walls is not that easy to do, no matter how nice they are. But a sense of discovery in terms of a personal experience, 
um, perhaps being spoiled, perhaps being surprised, like you've just mentioned in London, um, where you go uh, to a place that you know is going to inspire you and do something that in your own four walls would not be. So I think it's about experiences, respite and inspiration. Oliver, quickly off the top of your head, what would surprise you right now if you were to be taken by drone to an ABC, an anonymous hotel that is not Shangri-La? Two things. One is design. Um, give me something I look at that, uh, that I'm inspired by and I feel and see somebody's put effort into the design. Everything I touch and see um, has purpose and has been thought about. That um, would, would make me jump for joy. Second is um, give me something on the culinary side that I could not get somewhere else. Thank you, Oliver Bonkin, for sharing thoughts about the caring side and the quality side of the Shangri-La brand. And now I am inviting you to look forward to next week when we have another great hero of the luxury hotel world, Neil Jacobs, visionary CEO of Six Senses, growing around the world very fast. See you next week. You've been listening to the Mary Gostolo Girl Ahead podcast, produced by Allmont Global and brought to you by Barbados Tourism and Marketing. Join us next week for another extraordinary insight into the world of luxury travel.